All right, guys, thanks for being here. I feel like this is an important first step, acknowledging you have a problem. That's, that's really where it all begins. Who's gonna begin? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll go. My name's Scott, and uh, well, I'll just say it. Being an X-Men sucks. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hi, Scott. Hey. Anybody here sympathize with what Scott's talking about? Yeah, I mean, I hear you, man. Uh, I've been around a little bit longer than you, but uh, these head games that Professor X plays still really bother me. Head games? You mean he's pitting you guys against each other? No, yes. no, no, no. Like, he's literally, like, getting inside my head and, like, fucking around. Yeah, you know, I'll be dreaming about Gene, and then all of a sudden there's a, a clown with his face just tickling me. You're talking about, it's a dream though. He's not actually in your room doing that. Well, yeah, yeah, both. Oh my God. You guys want to talk about hair for a second? What about my hair? No, Beast. It's, guys, it's Beast. Oh. He's got to go. I mean, did you see what he did to the shower drain last week? All the blue fur. It was bad. Yeah, that was bad. Honestly, I'm more bothered by you and your girlfriend, though. Oh my <laughs> god, you guys are making everyone sick. I saw what you were doing in the danger room the other day. The floating 69 you guys were doing. Don't you bring Gene into this. You know that's not the problem, and you know that we were using protection. Oh, I don't see any potential issues with Gene. <laughs> right? Okay. <laughs> okay, give it a rest, Anderson Cooper. Oh, that's cute, the hair. I get it, yeah. You know, just because you're wearing shades, doesn't make you cool. Ooh. Okay, Captain Goggles. Well, just because your name's Quicksilver doesn't make you an Avenger. Oh. You know, legally, I'm not able to respond to that. Come on, you fuckers think that just because a guy reads comics, he can't work for shit? I'll fucking take all you are! Welcome to this week's episode of the each week, a motley band of comic readers slash amateur bar tenders attempt to pair cocktails with comic books. All while trying to not sound like complete morons in the process. You can find these idiots on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Tumblr. You know something? No, what? You read too many comic books. <laughs> we now join Brian, Q, Adam, and Todd. We now join Brian, Q, Adam, and Todd. I'm too sober for this shit. They may be drinkers, Robin, but they're also human beings. It's the first month of the year, and we're focusing our attention on beginnings, fresh starts, origins, first contacts, and the beginning of the end. Ignore her, she drinks. We are starting first with the beginning of the end in the Infinity Gauntlet. We then move to new beginnings with the vision. Letter 44 surrounds our first contact with aliens. The Omega Men bring back the beginning of the end. And we get a fresh star with, with X-Men Mutant Genesis. They're used to curious sights which they attribute to alcoholic delusions. Hey, stop doing that to Kessel, that's bad. bad. <laughs> stop that. 
So my dog is sitting uh, at my feet right now and chewing on books, and so I'm trying to stop him from chewing on books, but if you only hear that out of context, it sounds really dirty, which is why I'm getting <laughs> shit for it. Um, so welcome to episode 42. We're going to try to plow through this because Adam and Todd both have places to go because they're very important fancy people. So jumping in on their intros, we will start with Mr. Fancy Pants himself, Adam. Ooh. Hey, what's up, everyone? It's me, Adam. You know me from uh, uh, the Board is Hell podcast. You know me. You know who I good am. Good friend. You know. Don't you know who I am? <laughs> Uh, no, Board as Hell podcast with our good friend Andy Wilson. Hi, um, Andy. Hey, Andy. <laughs> and also on Big Shiny Robot doing movie reviews, uh, which will probably be um, switching up somehow. We do some stuff soon, so keep an eye out for some Ooh. updates and positive changes. And yeah, I I survived Sundance. I hopefully I don't think I got too drunk at too many parties. So <laughs> um, yeah, that's me. Cool. Sorry, I have a really bad headache right now because I I don't know what's wrong with me, but I just don't feel good. It's not a You're Duma. You're just dying. Uh, well, we're all dying. <laughs> not a Duma. It's not a Duma. The goggles, they do nothing. <laughs> Get to the chopper. Get to the chopper. <sighs> Mr. Fancy Pants, who will be arriving in style in a chopper uh, at the jazz game tonight, we have Todd. Hi, and don't you know who I am? Because I sure don't. <laughs> having Hi, issues. I'm Todd. I'm having issues every day. You can find me here on... Funny books and firewater and nowhere else, and hanging out with these other awesome people. Yep. Yep. Uh, speaking of awesome people, we have Q. Hi. Don't you know how popular I am? <laughs> popular. Come on, Breakfast Club. Um. But hi, I'm Q. Uh, I do things and stuff. I'm not doing anything right now, which is kind of awesome. However, girl, I have been catching up on some television. I'll nice. talk about it later in recommendations. I laughed. I cried. It was great. Um, and I'm Brian. I'm a sound designer in Southern California. And uh, for Todd and uh, Adam, this mm-hmm. really side note, even though I know I'm trying to be really efficient to try to get you guys out of here on time. So you remember I bought, um, when I was in Utah, we went to that uh, card game store and I bought those little um, Ninja Turtle key or- keychains. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. So I took them out of their packaging because I, I just need to get them here. And then I set them on top of my bookshelf. Well, gravity has done terrible things, and so Leonardo has a flaccid sword. Like, it's cracking me up. He has, like, one sword that's, like, up straight, and then the other one that's just slowly bending. Uh, so poor Leonardo has a flaccid sword, uh, which is going to be a great band name for someone, and if you take it, let me know. Just email me. That band name is free for anyone to use. Leonardo's so, flaccid sword. That uh, reminds me of a really funny story from work. I know we're... <coughs> fuck it, we're going to have tangents. So yeah. my, boss comes, my boss calls me the other day, He's like, uh, I'm going to be late. I have to take my son's turtle to the vet. I'm like, okay. So keep in mind, this is a $20 turtle, but his yeah, kid's like 10 and loves the turtle. Um, I didn't know this, but apparently turtles' buttholes can fall out. Uh, okay. <laughs> it had a prolapsed anus. <laughs> he had a very popular weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess it looked like there was like a worm coming out of his, his back end, so they... He had to like reinsert his anus and stitch it shut and do all this crazy shit to it. <laughs> and my boss is sitting there and we're all laughing because this is funny. And I was like, uh, we're bad people. And uh, I was like, well, why don't you just like go get him a new turtle? He's like, I was going to do that, but he his son insisted on going with him to the vet to make sure he didn't do that. Um, oh. So this $20 little turtle is now a $360 little turtle. Oh, and it just had its stitches out of its butthole two days ago. <laughs> Did it get the cone of shame? So didn't you want its stitches? Oh, oh, oh I no. But it was just, I, we laugh for. I mean, to this day still, we talk about the three hundred and sixty dollar trouble. I had um, I, my sister and I, we had pet rats when we were kids, 
And my dad ended up taking one of the rats to the vet when it was like, because they all basically, the way rats die is they essentially grow a big old tumor and like it just, that's just what kills them. Like they all seem to die about the same way. But my dad took the vet or took the, the pet rat to the vet. They had it on IVs overnight. They were like, they were trying to take care and save this rat. And my mom, my mom happened to be out of town when this all happened. And my mom was raised on a farm. So when it comes to animals, she's pretty like, they've lived their life expectancy. They're done, you know, moving yeah. on. Um, so my mom just came back and said, you spent how much on a rat? Like, it was a t- cost of $6 to get in the first place. She was very upset about it. Speaking of dead things and flaccid, all I can think of <laughs> is death becomes her. And I was going, flaccid. <laughs> dead things and flaccid. Please make that a new drop for us. Oh, <laughs> <Blast>. <laughs> and you can just put it whenever one of us makes a bad joke the full time. <laughs> okay. So, well, see, now I have multiple new drops to add on. This week we are doing uh, X-Men Mutant Gen- Genesis. Uh, now, I'm going to say this up front in case you haven't bought this book yet. There's Mutant Genesis and there's Mutant Genesis 2.0. To my understanding in Q, you can verify if I'm correct or wrong. They are the same story, Mutant Genesis. Genesis has just updated the art a little bit. They have yeah, there's just some. It's just kind of like upgraded. It's it's like they they took the old book and just like did a nice like spot clean on it. It's like when a movie is remastered. Yeah. So like so like when when I was going through it, I was like, oh, I don't remember there being like this red glow on this, and and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's so yeah, it's the the artwork's just been kind of spiffed up because you know it's from 1991, Mm -hmm. so you know it's just kind of like you know your basic comic book look, and so you know these days the kids like the Photoshop. So, we do. So they just kind of, it's kind of amped it up, but it, but it's still the original story. It's still, you know, mostly the original art. Just you know, you know, by Jim Lee. It's just been, just been touched up a little bit. Well, Q, since you are our uh, resident X Men expert, would you like to give us a brief intro preview as to what this book is? So first of all, today I wore my X Men shirt and my nice. X Men shoes. <laughs> I was so, I'm real excited about this. Um, so this story is a collection of X Men one through seven from 1991. This is sort of the jumping off point of uh, many years of the X Men being scattered across the globe in various different factions and um, like the original X Men from X Factor and all of those little fractioned off uh, groups coming back together and forming the X Men. Them splitting off into the two teams, Blue and Gold, which uh, most 90s kids remember from... It's the team that most 90s kids remember from uh, the X-Men cartoon. It's kind of like what then catapulted X-Men from being like the hugest book to like the hugest like sensation kind of a thing at the time. Um, Like, at the time, like, no one had, as far as I knew, no one outside of, like, my small circle of cousins and brothers knew what the X-Men were. Um, X-Men number one, I want to say, is, like, one of the top highest-selling books of, like, all time. Um, But anyway, in the story, um, the X-Men are coming together to face Magneto, who has resurfaced after um, laying low for a while. Um, And then after that, we jump right into um, a story that kind of delves into Wolverine past a little bit, um, has a couple of other little intertangled, inter, um, inter- I think, stories, um, some of it dealing with Psylocke, some of it dealing with um, the X-Men going over to the Hellfire Club's party, um, the Moira McTaggart, and you know, all kinds of other stuff, just like a typical old-school X-Men book, lots of dangling plot lines, lots of intertwined stories and relationships. 
all good fun. Um, and if you're going to uh, read along and drink along with us, you're going to need a drinking game. And now for sports. Banning the globe to bring you the constant variety of sports. Listen up, sports fans. The thrill of victory. Prepare yourself and your liver for this week's drinking game. And the agony of defeat. Remember, it's only a game and a dumb one at that. The human drama of athletic competition. So don't take it too seriously. And above all else, please drink responsibly. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. Rule one, the puny human rule. Which is every time you hear human, homo sapien, or homo sapien superior, take I'm a drink. I'm also going to throw in flat scan, because that's like the derogatory term that mutants come up with. Rule two, the animated series rule. Like you mentioned, this was pretty much the team we knew. I knew as a kid. So throughout this whole book, I was constantly reading the characters as their voice actors from the cartoon. So if, if you do that, you have to <laughs> and, if, and if you sing the song, you have to finish your drink. <laughs> <laughs> rule three, the whose team are you on rule. In true Claremontian fashion, there is lots of switching sides, mind control, all of that stuff. So anytime someone changes allegiances, whether it's to fake out the enemy or because of actual mind control, take a drink. And our final rule, the achy breaky rule. Every time you see a hairstyle, how be it from a man or woman, and you think... You know, I bet Billy Ray Cyrus could rock that. <laughs> Girl, it was 1991. Billy Ray Cyrus was rocking that. Absolutely. I, I'm dubbing that the achy breaky rule for you, right? <laughs> so it's the achy breaky rule. And yeah, once again, men and women alike, it's like, yeah, I can see Billy Ray wearing that. Take a drink. Fantastico. Well, so I, I, I believe this is, so since this is like issues one, is there any back information I mean, that we need before we read this book? I mean, kind of, kind of, yes. So it is a number one, but in like Marvel, especially these days, Marvel is all, and DC, always doing like an issue one because issue ones are the, like the sell better than yeah. um, it's, mm-hmm. you know, a total thing. But this was the, so X-Men was a widely popular book and it did spawn off like, um, you know, spinoffs like X-Factor, Excalibur, um, The New Mutants, all of those kind of things. But this was the first time that X-Men had two books where it was kind of like two books telling the same story. Like, there's lots of overlap, um, which, I'm sorry, again, can kind of get confusing for, like, a first-time reader not really knowing what's going on. But, uh, so there's a little bit of overlap, and uh, they do use the footnote features to try to make sure that you're, you know, keeping along and that you can, you know, go reference um, other books later. Uh, Just to kind of give you a backstory of what happens before this book is um, after pretty much the Australian era of of comics, which is just after um, when we read X-Men versus Avengers. Mm -hmm. Because, like, that team then eventually moves to to Australia. Like, right after that, the X-Men kind of get split up all across the world, and um, Forge and Banshee, who are, like, support um, players in in this book, are kind of the only, quote, X-Men anymore. And they're all... And they go off to try to look for everybody, because the X-Men go through the Siege Perilous, which is a whole other story. I mean, really, y'all, just go read um, UncannyX-Men.net, just all of the articles. Um, <laughs> just read the internet. Just read the internet. Get a desk job uh, for about four years where all you can do is read UncannyXMen.net and uh, <laughs> then you will know what's going on. But uh, anyway, so they finally, uh, the story kind of 
accumulates in what is called the Muir Island Saga, and uh, the X, all the X teams go to Muir Island to defeat the Shadow King, and then after that, they're all like, oh, well, since we're all here, I guess we should, like, you know, become one team again. Um, it's kind of like restarting, which is why, you know, they bring back Magneto, um, as the, as the main villain, and it's just sort of like, it's, like, X-Men's relaunch, it's, it's, that's about it, but I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that happens, like, Psylocke is actually a British woman, if you guys remember her from, um, previous books that we've read, um, and now she's Asian. How'd that happen? <laughs> um, it's a very long and complicated story, which has been retconned to death. Um, I was going to make a horrible joke, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say it now. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other kind of backstory things is, uh, which they do explain, like, Magneto was turned into a baby for a while. Yeah, which, that was funny. Well, but, but that, that then explains why someone from the Holocaust is still, yeah. like, you know, young and hot. Um, yeah. There's... Uh, I mean, four can be a frog. Yeah, th- yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, and anyway, it, it kind it's kind of like... You don't really need to know that stuff, but it, it's kind of it's kind of like watching the deleted scenes out of a movie. Like, yeah, they kind of add to it, but like, does it re- like it doesn't necessarily? You don't necessarily need to know what happens. Then uh, with that, we will uh, we'll take our little break. This is your chance to read it if you haven't already, or you can just plow on through and listen to us ruin and spoil the hell out of it on the other side. So, uh, and you can take a shot. And you can take a shot, which is what yeah. she does. At the sound of the uh, at the sound of the tone, it'll be time for your shot. <laughs> if you have yet to read this week's book and would like to read it now, press pause. Go ahead. We'll wait. I just love how even if it's not part of the story itself, there are scenes of the X Men at the beach or at a pool. Oh no, my favorite is the uh, the basketball scene that looks like it's straight out of uh, White Man Can't Jump. Oh, yeah. I know, yeah. it's fantastic. But yeah, well, this... I, but the thing is, like, that was such a Claremont thing to do to like show the X Men like quote at rest. I think the most awkward and surreal one is when they're at the pool on asteroid M, like just hanging yeah. out with the acolytes. Well, and, and and the the rogue cannonball contest, which then Gambit keeps trying to make out with her. And then you've got Wolverine and his John yeah. Stockton shorts. Oh I my gosh, the short that. shorts are amazing. Those I just Daisy love the fact Dukes. That, yeah, Rogue <laughs> explains her powers to Gambit, even though he already knows. Yeah, <laughs> well, but and he it's keeps going for it. Like, he's better. He thinks that it's not going to affect him. Well, I did not... like the scene where Psylocke uh, attacks Magneto pussy first. <laughs> well, I mean, that's her greatest weapon. <laughs> um, so, oh, Q, wow. I, I do have a question for you. <laughs> mm-hmm. Does Rogue ever actually get to hook up with anybody? Uh, yes. Well, first of all, before the storyline, so the reason that Rogue continually goes up to try to talk to Magneto is because Rogue and Magneto were like that. You know, when you're watching a movie and there's those two people that are like almost a couple, and then like tragedy strikes, so then they don't get to be coupled. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So that happened just previously. So the last time that we saw Magneto uh, was in the Savage Land, and Rogue um, was sent there by the Siege Perilous again. That's kind of hard to explain, whatever. But Rogue and Magneto become allies because, because then Zaladane, who is Polaris... If you guys even know who Polaris is, she's the green-haired magnetic woman who we mm-hmm. then find out eventually is Magneto's daughter. So her sister, although she only claims to be her sister, we don't know if she was actually her sister. 
steals her magnetic powers and tries then to steal Magneto's powers in the Savage Land because the Savage Land is in, in Antarctica. You know, it's a magnetic pole, so she's trying to sort of turn the world upside down with her powers, blah, 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 blah. Um, so during all of that, Magneto and Rogue become really close, and at the time, uh, Magneto, who, as we can even see in this, kind of has mastered the power dampening um, things, and uh, they totally almost took up, like, a couple times. Mm -hmm. um, so there's, like, serious romantic tension, which is, I guess, I guess if you don't know that, like, some of those scenes don't make sense why Rogue's always like, I need to talk to him, I need to talk to him. It's because she was like, I almost, you know, like, fell in love with this man. And, um, because Rogue has terrible taste in men. Um, but eventually, she and Gambit do hook up. So, every, um, as far as Rogue is concerned, people are either Team Gambit or Team Magneto as to who she should end up with. Mm -hmm. um, and during the Age of Apocalypse storyline, which I think was like 94, 95, um, she chose Magneto because Magneto could figure out a way around her powers, even though he was like 50 and she was like 16, um, which is super weird. So, a, typ a typical Hollywood relationship, okay. Yeah, you know. Uh, that's right. Um... But uh, you know, everyone's either a Gambit or or um, or a Magneto, and to be honest, she hasn't really had many other like serious like romantic relationships. I don't think. But yeah, it's either it's either Gambit or or Magneto. And see, in the movies, I was Team Iceman just because I wanted to see him take his shirt off. Oh, you know, yeah, I, yeah I, I take that back. It was um, so Iceman was only in the Ultimate Universe though, because that they based those characters more on. Well, the he's gay now anyway, so movie version. He is. I still. Uh, I still <laughs> have an issue with it. Like, I would be totally fine if he was just like, yeah, I like dudes too. But like, he had a lot of really kind of intense like female relationships. But it was just like, it, it's it's kind of like those things where it's like the gay like the gay fans were always like, no, 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 he's totally gay. He has to be gay. And so the writers like, all right, fine, we'll make him gay. God. So that was like kind of annoying, especially when they're already other gay characters that they can actually explore that and kind of... And haven't much with Northstar lately. Well, like, exactly. There's there's Northstar, there's Bling, there's uh, Karma, there's, you know, Anol. There's all kinds of other characters that they could be, like, exploring any kind of, like, gay things with, like, oh, let's just make um, Iceman gay, and now there's two versions of Iceman in the current... Co continuity and it's just like oh great so there's two gay ice men oh i'll never forget this so my very very first panel i was ever on at comic-con was the lgbt panel when i pissed off a little lesbian in the front row ooh. <laughs> <laughs> we actually were having this discussion as far as you know whether you should take an established character and make the character gay i'm like well i don't and my, my argument was no create a new character or do something do a spin on do like an ultimate universe whatever you want but mm -hmm. you know turning them gay to actually have a gay character in the story just for that sake of having that token character is wrong oh and she put her hand up and was pissed like oh are you saying people turn gay and i like, started going off and like you you can put words in my mouth if you want to but i don't remember i, I just dismissed it but it was, uh, ooh, she was pissed. So, like, one of the few times that I've ever been, like, behind a character, quote, turning gay, and the, but the thing is, it doesn't, wasn't like he really turned. So there's this character named Shatterstar, um, who's also, um, X-Men adjacent, and, um, so there were, like, it was, like, heavily implied in the, the 90s that he and another character named Richter were totally hooking up, and, but they were just, like, totally best friends, and just, like, two dudes hanging out all the time. So, uh, much later, when they both joined the They were both confirmed bachelors. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so then, much later, when, um, when they both 
came um, to the uh, to the uh, to X Factor Investigations, you find out that yes, they did totally have this relationship, and that Shatterstar was coming back because he wanted Richter, and Richter is a confirmed bisexual, which is also kind of awesome because he's one of the few bisexual characters um, in comics. And you really just find out that Shatterstar, because he's from this other dimension, Mojo World, that he's just kind of like. Whatever, I just want to have sex with everybody because I'm from a pleasure dimension where all we want to do is just have fun and kill people and have sex and do things for <laughs> television ratings and you know so so that that to me has always always made sense. It's not like him becoming gay. It was just he's totally down and has this really good relationship with this other character. Yeah. And anyway, back to <laughs> this book. How do we get over here? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, okay. To be honest with you, that that seems to happen on episodes with X Men. I because- just have a lot of. Feelings. <laughs> the feelings. I know. I just have a lot to say when it comes to X Men, and I'm sorry. It's okay. It's it's a Q episode today, kids. Yes, um, it is. When is it Q not? Oh, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm not on the show. It's all about Q. Um, well, all we, about Q. Let me read DMZ Volume Two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm really sick, you guys. Yeah. You always seem to be very sick in October. I don't know what you are. <laughs> I, I do. I will say though, I know we haven't really d- d- dived in, dove, dived in, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I do love Magneto's uh, little footy pajamas he's got. <laughs> oh, oh, you're talking about the ones that he comes out when he's in this grand white robe. Yeah, it's so and funny because reading this book, um, I don't know who just. Uh, Jim Lee's style at the time, but this mm-hmm. reminds me so much of Rob Liefeld, like just the big, well, the big pecs and like the whoosh. And... Well, that was just the '90s style, like because this was happening at the same time that Rob Rob uh, Liefeld was. Like, um, so Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, um, one of the Qberts, who I can't remember which one it was because there's like three of them. Um, uh, who are the other guys from Image? Uh, Will Will Sporticio, I can't quite pronounce his last name, and uh, Eric Larson. This is all very. They all had very similar, uh, over the top kind of styles, and especially the '90s had this very, um, you know, like the pouches and the straps that don't really mean anything. And um, oh, there's pads. a shot in this of um, oh, I think it, it's a uh, Fury. Where he is strapped mm-hmm. to the teeth, like he has bullets wrapped around like every major appendage they can put bullets on. Like it's well, crazy how many. Obviously, yeah. Um, <laughs> and and that was just sort of like the like the style of the time. So I mean, it's kind of like seeing like all of the gritty stuff that like we read now in like sort of more modern books. Like the, how like that gritty um, thing is is uh, is happening for a while in the sort of like mid to late. 2000s and maybe into like the the 10s or whatever we're calling those decades. There yeah, was like this uh, there's this ultra realism that was happening, which everything was painted and very lifelike and like Greg Horn who pretty much paints over porn um, for comic book <laughs> characters. Um, and and obviously like steals like famous people faces. Like there was obviously. Um, uh, Patrick Stewart as as you know Professor Xavier and like th- that kind of stuff. Anyway, it, it was just it was definitely the style of the time. Jim Lee is a far better artist, as we even saw in um, Hush, which we did a while mm-hmm. ago. Batman's Hush is a far better artist than Rob Liefeld because um, he can actually draw hands and feet. 
Um, <laughs> and, and proportions relatively well. I mean, this is still over the top 90s comic book, but Lee Field had like giant shoulders and small feet and women had like waists where they, they look like they could just snap in half. N- not that these proportions aren't, you know, a little out of control, but. There's a really fun, uh, there's a really famous drawing of Captain America that Lee Field did, like where he's like, he's got a huge chest, like pecs out to like five feet out. And someone did a, like, did like the anatomy of that picture and then showed like the skeleton of Captain America with all the muscle around it. I'll, I'll try to find the link. It's the funniest goddamn thing I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that picture is when he did, um, when the uh, Avengers were in Heroes Reborn, because I think he drew that. Oh, God, it was awful. Yeah, it's just like, it's, it, he, looks, he looks like he had breast implants. Yeah, it's super creepy. But anyway, so this book. Yes. Um, <laughs> okay, well, Kim, plowing ahead, would you like to do the, uh, the lightning round? Sure. Lightning round begins... So uh, a group of uh, astronauts are chasing each other. Um, There's obviously two groups. One, you find out, are mutants who are trying to reach Magneto, and the other are the um, American astronauts who are chasing after them. They end up at Asteroid M. Uh, Magneto brings them aboard. World leadership is getting very concerned, especially the U.S. and the Russians, who want to enact the Magneto Protocols, which are things that they started. Remember when we read X-Men vs. Avengers? That was what the courts did after Magneto left. They are like, oh, well, uh, we need to come up with these things in case Magneto ever goes crazy. Then we go to the X-Mansion where the X-Men have all come back together as a team. Also, Professor X has finally come back from space. Again, y'all, look that up. Um, and And so he's now the leader of the X-Men again. And there's just sort of playing war games in the danger room, um, kind of just... Uh, play, playing a, an ultimate game of uh, Find the Professor so, to some hilarious results. Sounds like a sex act, Find the Professor. <laughs> I mean, isn't it? <laughs> um, so then they get a call from Colonel Fury who is saying, you know, hey, you know, Magneto's up to something, all this stuff. Magneto takes the Acolytes on as, oh, who they still aren't called the Acolytes yet, but, you know, eventually they will be. Um, so, uh, so he's like, yeah, you know, if you guys, if your guys' cause is my cause, sounds cool. So then the X Men go confront Magneto, who is bringing up the Leningrad. Who remember? Remember back when we read X Men versus Avengers? That sub that they <laughs> that they said that he sank. Well, he's finally raising it up because now he's stealing the nukes out of it. Again, it's all connected, kids. All connected. So the X Men confront Magneto. Uh, they do a little fight. Uh, Psylocke attacks him. Pussy first. And um, (laughs) the uh, X-Men, or Magneto escapes. The X-Men are trying to look for Rogue, who gets kind of hit in the crossfire. She ends up on Genosha, which is now being attacked by the Acolytes without Magneto's permission. And so battle battle ensues. And also you're kind of confused as to who the Acolytes are, because like you're seeing different people and whether or not there's like some mind control, which by the way, take a drink, from (laughs) from some of the astronauts who you thought were against... um, the guys. But anyway, uh, you find out that Moira is crying and hiding something because Moira is a crazy uh, Scottish lady. You then get some cool pinups if you have Mutant Genesis 2.0. So the X-Men confront Magneto again. Uh, Magneto uh, leaves after one of his acolytes uh, kind of capture the X-Men in like this weird statue-like state. And he takes he takes them all off to Asteroid M and takes Moira because they have discovered that there is something wonky with, Magne- with Magneto's DNA. I'm um, come to find out that Moira McTaggart, when uh, Magneto was 
uh, turn into an infant at some point, had sort of tried to help his his, his DNA because she'd found that there was a, a destabilization that was happening that she feels was kind of making him crazy. So she was like, well, if I fix this, then he'll be, you know, a better man. Which, by the way, this does come up later when they say the same thing about Scarlet Witch, who, I don't care what Marvel says, is still Magneto's daughter. Then there's like a side note of um, Matsutsuriyaba, who is the leader of the hand. For those you of you old X-Men fans will remember him from our previous storyline. And they're getting something from the Russians. We don't know what it is. You find out that Meg <laughs> It's a Russian vibrator. And um, <laughs> you, you come you come to find out that Magneto makes Moira McTaggart do the same thing to the blue team to make them believe Magneto. The gold team is then like, alright, well, we gotta go up there because the Magneto protocols are making them fire a giant nuclear weapon at um, at Asteroid M. So the gold team goes up to the space station, more drama with Moira because she's nothing but drama. There's a random pool scene because that's a thing. I mean, anytime you can put Gambit in a speed. Fine. They they get up to the uh, space station. You find out that the brainwashing of the X Men only works as far as uh, they don't use their powers. So the more they use their powers, the more that they're losing the sort of brainwashing condition. Um, Gambit completely uh, destroys Banshee's jaw, uh, just in case you guys missed that. Um, he... <laughs> yeah, it's wired up later. Yeah, so it's wired shut later because Gambit breaks it. Which, by the way, just side note, I know I'm supposed to be doing the lightning round, but this happens to Banshee a lot because he has voice-related powers. He's always, like, losing his voice. He's being slit across the throat so he loses his powers. I'm just like, dude, you were, like, so easy to, like, fuck with. So, you know, everybody's fighting everyone. Come to find out that Fabian Cortez, who is the leader of the Acolytes, who has what you believe are healing powers, are actually not healing powers. All he's doing is uh, sort of ultra-amping up Magneto, so instead of actually healing him, he's just sort of making him feel like there isn't anything wrong, so it's actually causing him to hurt himself more. Magneto Protocol canon thing is about to be fired. Magneto uh, pretty much sends the X-Men out, and he's like, bah! And uh, you come to believe that Magneto and his acolytes die, except for Fabian Cortez, because he's a dick. Um, <laughs> die on Asteroid M, and the X-Men are like, oh, okay, well, now we have to go back. So, then you find out that there's this guy named Omega Red, who has some kind of ties to Wolverine. There's a basketball game, which, anytime the, the X-Men play basketball or baseball, awesome. Uh, oh, oh, always fun stuff. So Moira's having like, oh, I hurt all the people that I love. It's because she's a terrible person. So then you learn that Fenris, uh, who are these uh, twins, uh, for those of you who remember in the uh, second Avengers movie, there's Baron Von Strucker, who was the guy who was like genetically manipulating people and created Quicksilver, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. Actually, he created his own two twins and gave them superpowers instead in the comic books, just FYI. So uh, he, they have a an alliance with Matsuo, and uh, they're trying to fix this guy named Omega Red. We don't really quite know what's going on, but they're all trying to get up into be part of what are called the upstarts, which... It's, it's an ongoing theme in these early 90 books. Um, I'm going to talk, I'll probably talk about it later when I'm talking about my uh, rec uh, other recommendation. The X-Men all try to go out for a night on the town, um, and instead they are attacked by uh, the hands who are just, you know, just a group of ninjas. Because, you know, they even say it later when, like, all these ninjas look the same, who are kind of led by Omega Red. So Wolverine is captured. Psylocke in her underwear or swimsuit decides to join the battle because that's a thing that she does. So, so the they're rescued, except uh, they still have Wolverine. You find out there's somebody who's kind of like overwatching Wolverine because 
of some other shadowy, mysterious-y thing. Uh, so then the X-Men decide to split up because there's this thing at the Hellfire Club going on, which um, takes place in Uncanny X-Men 281, which is uh, something else that I'll talk about. So the blue team goes after Wolverine. You find that the Wolverine is part of this secret CIA squad, which um, also consisted of Sabretooth and this guy named Maverick. You're also reintroduced to Dazzler, who up to this point hasn't done anything with their life, and Longshot comes, and they jump off to um, to escape Spiral. So you find out that Matsuo, during his mind swap, uh, again, during Psylocke, uh, has placed a post-economic suggestion, which is some bullshit. And uh, she then turns on the X-Men, blah, 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 blah. So she helps Sabretooth um, track down Wolverine, because Wolverine and Psylocke share a psychic bond, which happened, again, in that same mind swap storyline. Again, take a drink. <laughs> Longshot and Dazzler and uh, Lila Cheney, who is also a pretty cool character, she's a rock star, it's awesome, are taken to Mojo World to fight in the Resistance. Uh, again, that's another side story. So anyway, so they're all fighting, you kind of find out that there's this whole, like, synthesizer thing that Omega Red needs from Wolverine's memories, and they don't know where it is. Fight, 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 we change alliances a couple of times, everybody is just kind of fighting, and then um, X-Men defeat the bad guys, and um, Wolverine goes off on his own. Again, more stuff with, with Longshot and Dazzler. And then uh, Wolverine uh, defeats the hand guys and they get the hell out and he gives the synthesizer thing to Maverick, the end of this book. Uh... <laughs> Again, that was like, yeah, that was like 20 minutes. Aristocrats. We'll have to split that into two. I'm, sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. That was. I mean, there's just a lot that happens in these there kind is. of books. Backtracking before, if you go and Google Rob Liefeld, uh, Captain America, a you get some very funny images. B, my favorite thing about that was is there is a side search of pouches, and I had no <laughs> idea how often characters Rob Liefeld like draws are all over the place. And my favorite, and I know Q is not a fan of. Um, of uh, Deadpool, but on there, uh, there's a little Deadpool quote that says, "Hey, losing body parts is part of the job. Get used to it. Best thing you can do is pick up what you had, uh, what you can, and hope you can get it reattached before it fly, uh, before the flies show up. That's why it's good to have lots of spare pouches. The more pouches, the better, right, Rob? <laughs> so, yeah. If you look up Rob Liefeld and pouches, holy shit, does he put pouches on fucking everybody everywhere? Yes. It's amazing. Yes. Yes. Anyway. Does. Yeah, and there there is some funny uh, there are some funny uh, parodies of uh, his bad uh, uh, bad anatomy. Yeah, anatomy. That's what I was looking for. Thank you. Where do you want to start on this one, Q? <laughs> <laughs> um, so so the upstarts, which is what Fenris is doing. So the upstarts are this um, group of villain children, um, for lack of a better word. Um, who there's a character named the Games Master kind of brings together and says that uh, they will earn points for as many people as they kill. Um, and uh, whoever the winner is, whoever gets the most points at the end of some indeterminate amount of time, uh, will gain immortality. Which is, first of all, dumb. But whatever. <laughs> it's a thing. So pretty much what this plot device is, is um, it just sort of introduces or reintroduces some some characters, and it sort of puts a, um, like, you know, it, it kills off some, like, older characters. So the, for the, the another character who's in, introduced around the, the same time in um, X-Men kind of 281, which is, so the two titles at the time were Uncanny X-Men, which, um, continues on with the gold team and then this book X-Men um, 
which is it, it, most people then call it ad, ad, uh, I'm sorry I'm trying to see adjective adjectiveless X-Men <laughs> um, and uh, so the gold team goes over to the Hellfire Club and um, that kills off um, Donald Pierce the Reavers um, at the time Emma Frost and the Hellions um, because the first target that the Game Master gives them all is to kill off the old Hellfire Club um, who we were introduced to in the Dark Phoenix Saga um, so Emma Frost Sebastian Shaw um Celine, uh, who was the Black Queen after um, Phoenix left, and uh, I'm trying to think who else. Anyway, so, uh, uh, oh, and Donald Pierce. Um, so that's who like some of these characters go after, which is what happens in um, Uncanny Un- Un- X Men 281. Um, and so it looks like Fenris is just trying to get this guy Omega Red because he would be easier to kill people, obviously, than actual Fenris because they're terrible. But anyway, so that that's sort of like what the upstarts are doing. Um, I'm trying to think of some of the, so the whole so Mat, Matsuo, who is the guy um, and the leader of the hand, who he is is he's the one who captured Psylocke after she went through the Siege Perilous and turned her Asian for the Mandarin, um, one of Iron Man's <laughs> villains. Um, so that way she could be a, a stealthy assassin. Um, psychic well, assassin for him. Well, it, it's a, well, so that way people didn't know that it was Psylocke because the X-Men were famous um, at the time. So you know, they wanted to just have her be a little bit more covert, and you know what better way to make it a, a psychic covert than changing her race? Because that's a thing that happens. Um, so I'm saying they, they, did, they did yellow face, basically. Yes, pretty much. Okay. Um, yeah, which is terrible. Um, but anyway, so he was the one who 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 had a hand in that hand, haha, that's a pun, um, in, in changing Psylocke, which is why the, there's this plot device in here that he gets her to switch sides, which she really doesn't, I guess, apparently. And, and I think the manner was just really ronery, so they had to have also, well, which, which is also true. So, so that, so that storyline was called the um, Acts of Vengeance, which was uh, not so much a crossover as it was a theme over the X book or um, the Marvel books, where villains decided that, well, I'm not defeating my um, our arch nemeses, so why don't we switch? So you know, mm. I'll fight your guys and you fight my guys, and we'll you know we'll see how that fares for. So um, Mandarin kind of goes after a bit of the X Men um, and see see what he can do. Whereas Magneto. Um, then actually tries to go after the West Coast Avengers, and that's kind of where you find out that Scarlet Witch is actually insane. Um, and she kind of goes dark for a while. Anywho. Um, hashtag comics. Yeah, I know. Hashtag comic yeah. books. And, uh, well, because this was, all, uh, uh, like we talked about um, in the Vision thing, this was like after the Vision, um, the Vision quest thing where Vision loses all of his emotions, and that kind of leaves her kind of, you know, vulnerable because she's alone because her robot husband doesn't love her anymore. So, also, kind of backstory to this is Chris Claremont, as you can see at the end of issue three, there's a little thing that says C- CSC 1976 to 1991. So Claremont was unceremoniously sort of ditched out of out of writing the X-Men after um, issue three of this book. Um, Marvel pretty much was just like, um, so yeah, we're just gonna like um, just do with these go with these young hot writers. Like we think that you've been past your prime, and you know you did this. And Claremont's like, well, I'm the one who created all of this. Like mm-hmm. I I I did all of this. Um, mm-hmm. 
No, anytime Claremont has come back, he's really... He obviously was very past his prime. Like, any book that he wrote pretty much after this was n- mm-hmm. not very good. Um, he was a lot of the same kind of plot devices, and it's just like, can you not come up with anything new? And he always, like, really fucks with the same characters and, like, just screws up more and more of their backstory. Especially Psylocke, Kitty Pride, um, Dazzler. Like, he, he just has, like, this core of people that he just likes to fuck with, which is so crazy. But, um, anyway, so he created the character of, um, Fabian Cortez. So the guy who is going to replace him is, oh, I can't pronounce his last name. Fabian Nizia. Hold on, let me see if I can figure out how to pronounce his name. But anyway, so it was this this young writer who um, was going to replace him. It's N-I-C-I-E-Z-A. Anyway, (laughs) however you pronounce that. Um, He's Argentinian. And uh, so he created this this Latino redhead, by the way, um, (laughs) with with a big, long ponytail to make him look ridiculous and named him after this this writer that he didn't like. So, like, there's the whole thing with, like, Wolverine's healing factor still being a little out of whack, which is an old-school thing that happened when the Reavers first attacked the X-Men and really beat the shit out of Wolverine, and that's when Jubilee entered the picture, um, and she sort of saved Wolverine, and they went off on their own solo adventures for a while. Um, so the whole, like, vote of confidence from Psylocke is a sort of a nod to those stories, because one of the first things that they do together is that Acts of Vengeance storyline where Psylocke becomes Asian, and so they rescue Psylocke. And so the three of them are kind of like a little team for a while. What's interesting to me is that the only person that Gambit really kind of worked with up until this point was Storm, and then they put him on the, like, quote, cool X-Men team, with, like, all of the new cool people, but, but like, the person he's closest with is Storm, and the, the, he just, he's like, okay, deuces, bye, bye, Storm, I'm gonna go do this other cool stuff with these other people who are cooler. Okay, again, I feel like I've talked way too much. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I get really, really excited. We'll start jumping into to, to reviews and to uh, cocktails and whatnot. So for my cocktail, I'll start out with, um, I'm calling it the Danger Room. That's not the actual name of the cocktail. Uh, the cocktail is actually named the Hurl Hurl, which uh, might be oh. the case of it as well. It, it looks actually very tasty. However, I was Googling like trying to find a Danger Room uh, cocktail, and I found an article on the top five most dangerous cocktails. So, of course, this was number one on it. Um, and uh, so this is, here you go. Uh, and it's mostly alcohol, which is why they're, it's, it's supposed to be very, like, sweet and, and nice, but looks, and it looks pink and cute, like, you know, the, mm-hmm. the shockingly red outline on some of the, uh, the, uh, art that uh, Q is not prepared for. Um, <laughs> but it is, uh, one part of each of the following. Um, amaretto, cranberry juice, creme de banane, Malibu rum, uh, melon liqueur, peach schnapps, raspberry liqueur, southern comfort, and triple sec. And you put that in a shaker, shake the shit out of it straight into a mm-hmm. cocktail glass, and then you can pour it over ice. And uh, it can be served as an actual drink or a fairly aggressive shot, as it's described. <laughs> so um, that is my drink. I'm calling it the Danger Room. Actually, we'll do everybody's cocktails here before we get mm-hmm. into reviews and things like that. So, uh, Todd, since I heard you last, would you like to go with your cocktail? Mine is um, called the Red and Gold. Um, it's in honor of the gold team, but also I don't think Omega Red got enough airtime on this. Okay. 
And just looking at Omega Red, I mean, he and Lobo on the DC side seem to be very obviously counterparts to each other. But mm. the red and gold. Um, what it is, it's an ounce and a half of vodka, Stoli Gold, two ounces of cranberry juice, and you put some lemon-lime soda on top of that, you garnish it with the lime, and you put it in a nice highball glass with some ice. So it's like a Cosmo with lemon-limey going on here. It's delightful. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Q, you have a cocktail? So, in, in honor of our um, purple telepath, I have the purple mind swap. Um, mm-hmm. And this has enough booze in it to make you change teams. Um, <laughs> so it's a half ounce of vodka, half ounce of gin, half ounce of light rum, half ounce of triple sec, half ounce of uh, blue curacao, half ounce of raspberry liqueur. Uh, you throw some sweet and sour mix in there, and you put a lemon wedge on it, and you just shake that shit up and drink it. Awesome. Wow. So you're saying if I drink enough of that, I will appreciate Olivia Munn's boob window in X-Men Apocalypse? Which, uh, okay, so... There's an epic boob window in this one, though, too. Well, yes, yeah, that's, but, but that's Fenris. That's what's a- Andrea or whatever her name is. She's stupid. Yeah. I have to say that the boob window in the movie, I was kind of like, uh... I mean, I, like, I get it. Like, you know, you have Olivia Munn. Psylocke is, like, a really sexual character. But at the same time, like, she doesn't have that. She... Uh, anyway, so. So, so here's here's that. So when Andy and I were reviewing that for Bored as Hell, we both agreed we'd be perfectly fine with her boob window if Michael Fassbender got a peen window. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Girl, that, boy can, that boy has dented tubs with that thing. Uh, I have that gift saved on my phone. <laughs> it's all sticky. <laughs> no, he he and Ewan McGregor have dented. A, uh, cast iron tubs before, so. <laughs> Adam, do you have a cocktail to I go with that? Actually, it's kind of funny that uh, I think Todd he just did tell us a cocktail. <laughs> he, did, he, did, he did tell us a tale of a cock. That is true. Um, I'm, I'm actually. I, it's kind of funny. I went the same route that uh, Todd did because I felt there wasn't enough Omega Red either. So mine is the Omega Red. Uh, it's uh, one ounce of vodka, one ounce peach schnapps, one ounce of Grand Marnier uh, orange liqueur. Uh, top it off with cranberry juice and a shaker, shake the shit out of it, uh, and then pour it into over a uh, glass over ice, and then mm-hmm. uh, squeeze a little wedge of lime on top. Nice. It's kind of like a, um, uh, it's kind of like a mother pucker, but not quite. So, mm. but it gets, the cran- it gets the cranberry juice. So anyone out there who's got their uh, a UTI, you know, you, you go ahead and enjoy oh, it. Oh yeah, that's solved too. <laughs> See, problem solved. Yeah. Fantastico. Um, well, I will jump in with my quick review of this book. Mm-hmm. I think one of the issues I had with this book personally was I think I was tripping up over my thought process of it being an origin story because it really kind of isn't. Um, I kept thinking there would be something that restarted the entire universe or whatnot. And all really, I mean, and uh, and so that's not a complaint about the book or the writing. That's my own perception going into it, and that tripped me up and caused me to have some issues with it. As far as the review goes, that technically has nothing to do with it, but it's just something that if you haven't read it and you're thinking about going back and reading it, just be forewarned. And as you know from Q's uh, explanation, it is, it's not like, and then the X-Men were born and, you know, all this stuff. They, they, you know, it, it's not, I mean, it start, it's a, a number one issue. It starts over again, but the backstory still exists. The continuity still exists. There's all that. So there's still that information to be out there. Um, I kind of preferred Claremont's run um, on this, like the, his three issues at the beginning. Is it three or four issues, Q? That's three. It's three. Mm-hmm. I kind of preferred his story a little bit. My only issue I had with it is because this is a 90s book and it is so hyperverbal, which I think 
Mm-hmm. It, it's a statement of the 90s in general because I was thinking about it while I was reading the book. And Claremont. Yeah, well, and Claremont. But I mean, but even if you look at, if, if you even look at the films at the time, like everything from like singles to swingers to all the Kevin Smith movies to the Quentin Tarantino movies, a lot of the big famous stuff from the 90s is hyperverbal. Like it's a lot of people talking a lot. And the only problem I really had w- with that is, is I don't necessarily mind it being hyperverbal, but sometimes the bubbles were hard to read. And it made me feel like when I was a kid starting to read comics, or not, well, trying to read comics, then when I was an adult trying to, starting to read comics, and there's that intimidation factor of trying to learn how to read where stuff is, or even like, first time we read a manga, trying to go, okay, wait, I have to read this in this order. There were points in time where I would be like reading going, nope, that's not what the response to that question is. I've read the wrong <laughs> thing. I gotta go back and reread. So like that was just a little bit of a tripping point for me, and I had a little bit of an issue. So it's, it's mm-hmm. you know, it's not necessarily anything against the writing. It's not anything against the story. It's just the way it's laid out on the page. And I found it more in Claremont's issues. There's a little bit at the beginning of um, of Jim Lee's issues. But like that, and, and once Jim Lee started getting rolling, it wasn't as much of a problem. But that was the big complaint I personally had about this book was just trying to follow it. Other than that, I liked it. I think um, my just my perception going into it tripped me up a little bit because I kept expecting there to be a restart button somewhere. You know what I mean? I kind of I, I kept expecting Magneto to blow up the world and the mutants to have to redevelop their powers and start from scratch. And that was just my perception going in, and so that was my own damn fault. Um, but so outside of that, yeah, I mean, I liked it. But uh, yeah, that's my two cents. Todd, do you want to go with your review? Yeah, I'll do that. I will say probably my favorite page in this whole book is page 110 you've got one character leaping up and it is the frames of the comics itself doing the expletive of no oh that one's cool actually i know you're talking about yeah right and that really drew me in as much as anything else i mean and i really just it's something i'm surprised we don't see more of Mm -hmm. i suppose and it's used rare enough when it was that really drew me out and i thought that was pretty cool um, looking at it, I think Cyclops's outfit would probably be the most uncomfortable of everyone's to wear because <laughs> that that gold crotch plate just looks uncomfy, man. And how on earth do they all go to the bathroom is what goes through my mind. It, Very carefully. First, first, first of all, girl, as someone who has worn one of these before when I did Dazzle a few years ago, you sure you bring a friend. <laughs> very close they need to help. Well, first of all, my, my poor friend Annabelle, she gets all of the fucking uh, props for this. But yeah, when I was Dazzler at a Halloween party, so normally uh, I've driven across the country n- numerous times. I can hold my shit. So like, j- just the road trip I took down to uh, to uh, uh, Atlanta, I I'd stopped once to go to the bathroom. Like you know, like I can hold it, but. It was just like, I gotta go, and I gotta go now. So Annabelle, I just, she was my closest <laughs> friend, was, you know, geographically, and I was like, girl, you gotta come with me. So she had to unzip me, undo the, the bodysuit that I had on underneath it, because when you do drag, you have to wear a lot of layers. Sure. And so she had to, like, literally help me, like, she didn't actually have to get my peen out, but, like, she had to help <laughs> me, like, because I was wearing a corset, so I couldn't bend over, and anyway, it, you bring a friend. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sure, I understand that. Make sure you've got your buddy pass. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No kidding. You'll be closer friends from then on. So me and AB, we're like this. Oh, yeah, I bet. Um, but going back to it, I mean, you've got that 90s X-Men cartoon that I grew up and loved watching. And this really, you can tell the cartoon pulled so much from this sort of pages and the style and everything. And I don't. 
from what I read from I remember the cartoon and everything it's all melded together I mean it's just this mishmash of everything in that regard the stories were fun they were fine it's I think Brian put on it I guess a sign of the times the thought bubbles the statement bubbles and everything else were absolutely intense um, reading through it and it's it's a bit of a just a they were done a little bit differently back then than they are now not for good or bad it's just not as they are currently and getting into that takes some time for me but yeah I mean the art it's vibrant it's over the top very much of the style and everything else I enjoy it I had a good time and it's like oh these are the X-Men that I know and love and it's not the because I never really knew the X-Force the X-Factor the other the uncanny or the ultimates it's these guys so reading this is like, here's an X-Men story that meets all the expectations in that regard as a casual Marvel guy in this regard. So I really enjoyed it. And it would be like, what story do I, if I'm just getting into X-Men, should I read? This is like a great starting off point would be my. Mm -hmm. Which I think was part of their intention as well. But yeah. Sure. In that regard, though, it's the starting off point. You've got that going on. You've got some over the top. I mean, and it's a collection of, it seems, of different things. So you can really say, hey, I really dug this Magneto storyline, or I really dug Omega Red, or I really like this. And it's a great introduction to so much. And if you want to branch out, you have a lot of easy choices, it seems, from here. And I think it did that very well in that regard. But yeah, cool. yep, that's my review. Awesome, Adam. What are your thoughts? <clears throat> so once again, it's really funny because Todd kind of hit a lot, a lot of the same notes. <laughs> I was thinking about. You guys have been dating too long. I know. Cheating on me with the jazz tonight. I um, know. <laughs> what's so funny about this this series uh, is I actually this was one of the first like non kid comic books I ever bought as a kid. I I have like one, two, three, four, five, six, whatever of X Men in my closet actually because my mom shit me up a bunch of my old comics uh and so i when i started reading this i'm like god this is so familiar I'm like, oh went and looked it out yep i read this as a kid so it was it was kind of funny because i didn't know as a kid that i was reading the, the mutant genesis you know graphic novel and but like todd said it's all nostalgia for me because like my, my drinking rule was hey when you hear the voices of the uh animated show you have to go ahead and take a drink because to me this was my x-men growing up this was almost spitting image like the comic I mean the the animated series and so they're interspersed in my mind too like you can't really separate the two of them and uh, so yeah it was, it was a really kind of fun step back in time just you know the, the hour or two I spent reading this book because uh, it just it reminded me of like because see we didn't have comic shops at least I didn't know where they were so we would go mom would go to Stater Brothers to go go shopping and I go just sit in the book section and just read all the comics so that was what I did for two hours while she was shopping so that's where I first saw these books. That's when I got into them. And I'll never forget, I was watching the, the Saturday morning cartoon and my mom came in, she started watching it with me. She's like, I don't know why you like this. This is like a soap opera, there's a story. I'm like, well, that's the point. There's a story, it's, it's a comic book <laughs> cartoon. Uh, and she thought com you know, cartoons for us should be like Looney Tunes and, and Tom and Jerry. Uh, so this was, you know, this book, I mean, I, I had like, you know, I had some Ninja Turtle comics, like the, the really cartoony ones based on the cartoon as a kid. But this is kind of the one that got me kind of reading more X-Men. Um, and then I kind of you know, fell out and we talked before I got back into it in college. So, I mean, the nostalgia piece is really strong. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting that we see the beginning of kind of a new era in X-Men, like you mentioned, we're branching off now into these other different 
X-Men groups. Uh, at the same time, we see the final, the, the final, the finalization of uh, Chris Claremont's run because this was like the last. I think issue three was the last thing he ever did for Marvel back when his with his 17-year run. Yeah. Um, yeah. Q, Q would know. Is that right? Yeah. Um, I talked about it earlier. Apparently, you're taking a nap. Uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I, I, I do have a really bad headache, so. <laughs> no, it's okay. No, no, it's fine. I talk a lot, so I understand when people don't listen. Um, <laughs> but no, but yeah, no. He he was pretty much like asked to to retire. Yeah. After, after this, and it, it definitely hurt his feelings for quite some time. But yeah, it was, it was interesting to see the you know the, the, the mixing of the two. Like you know, the, here's the new X Men along with you know this person's final run. So yeah, I liked it. Is it very '90s? Yes. Uh, you know, it's got like the speech bubbles. It's got the, you know, everyone explaining their powers to their friends, even though their friends should know their powers. Um, <laughs> but no, and that, there's that's fun, and it, it's really cool to go back and, you know, again, it's that taking a piece of history and kind of reliving it. And, you know, there's there's not many comics I can do that with because I've read more of them as a young adult into my, you know, where I am now. So this is one of the few times I can be like, oh, I remember exactly where I was in which Isle of Stater Brothers when I read this comic for the very first time. <laughs> So it's a, a very vivid image of that popped into my head. So that was that was really enjoyable. Um, and <laughs> Q. Um, I mean, I mean, you guys pretty much. I mean, it's very '90s. Um, it. I mean, this is obviously where wh- why the X Men became so popular that they decided to turn it into a cartoon, and then you know th- that kind of exploded for, for you know, whatever. Um, I mean, so. I'm just gonna defend the people here for a moment. Um, so the reason, so the reason that like a lot of them are kind of still explaining their powers, as Professor Xavier is talking, like, so if we kind of try to make X Men and quote real time, a lot of these guys have probably only known each other for like a few weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some of them have obviously been like together for a while, but even even like for example, Psylocke is not the same Psylocke that everybody remembers when they were a team. Well, no, she's Asian. Yeah, I know she's Asian now. It's like mm-hmm. what the fuck. Um, it's like, girl, did you listen to that song too many times? I'm turning Japanese. That's like Japanese. Japanese. She's been masturbating, by the uh, way. Yeah, you know what that song's about, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, well, which is why she's so sexual. And, um, <laughs> but, uh, so, so it's like, you know, the, and like Gambit, um, everyone is still very leery of him, which is why everyone's just kind of like, who is this dude? Like, what's he doing? And then, like, Sabretooth kind of hints at the fact that he's probably not the nicest person and could technically be, like, you know, scamming on them. So, the other thing that I kind of wanted to, to talk about, too, is, um, so, in the whole, uh, 281, when, like, the, you know, the whole, uh, Hellfire Club pretty much gets destroyed, the old Hellfire Club, they they get destroyed by, um, a character named Trevor Fitzroy, who is from the future, and you find out that the future that he is from is the one that Bishop is from. So Bishop is the police force that comes to try to take him back, and Bishop then gets stranded here. So for, again, those of you who remember the cartoon, and Bishop was the one who did the whole Days of Future Past storyline, because Bishop, again, was super popular because he was very 90s um you find out that there's this whole traitor um storyline happening and you it's really kind of pointing towards gambit because he's the only surviving um x-men member in bishop's future and uh 
there, there he runs across this video that has uh, Jean Grey doing this whole recording, and it's all very, um, you know, everyone wants to know like who this who this ex traitor is. You come to find out much later that it's Professor Xavier, and it's really dumb. They um, X Men does definitely have a, well comics in general. Sometimes when they have these big overarching storylines, just they just kind of fizzle after a while. Um, but anyway, so like that that was another thing that that was happening at the time. So it so you get introduced to Bishop um, Gambit's whole thieves guild, which if you remember from the cartoon was you know totally like a whole thing. You know, and everyone is so cool, needs to wear a bomber jacket or duster. So. Um, so, you know, like, Rogue's wearing a jacket, Gambit's wearing a jacket. At this time, the Avengers, they were all wearing jackets. Like, it was like, bomber jackets were, like, the fucking uniform of choice. Um, back, back in the early 90s. Like, ev everyone was doing it. Um, but anyway, I, I really like this book. This is the first book that I remember buying with my money. Um, there was an Excalibur comic book that I had my mom buy me, but this was like, you know, I saved up, you know, my dollar twenty-five, you know, however much comics were back then. Um, I and I still own X-Men number one. I got the one with um, Storm and Jean Grey on the cover. Um, but what really got me into this is so like I had like this sort of little bit of knowledge of the X-Men from reading all the trading cards that my that my cousin Chisholm had had, and so like when I started doing this, I was like, well, I need to know who all these people are and when they commented in the footnote um you know this happened in issue um uncanny x-men 256 i went okay well i need to know what's going on because i really kind of like this purple-haired ninja woman and i purchased that book and that's when i found out that psylocke was um captain britain who i had no idea was related at all to her um because I, I was already started reading excalibur because Shadowcat was in it but that she was his twin sister, and that they turned her from a purple-haired British woman to a purple-haired Asian woman, and I was like, what? That's craziness! And that she had bionic eyes that um, fed into the Mojo world, and that's how Mojo uh, recorded all of the X-Men's lives, and I was just dun, like... Dun, dun. Exactly, like, <laughs> comic books are fucking crazy. Um, but yeah, so I mean, this, like, and I think that's why I... Like, I love the little footnotes that happen in the bottom. Because, again, 1991, the internet wasn't a thing, kids. Um, and, and, like, I love the little footnotes. So I was like, oh, so that's how I'm going to find out who this person is. That's how I'm going to find out who that person is. Um, like, I had, um, when I saw trading cards and, and other images of the X-Men, I had no idea who this woman in this big cape and armor was. And then find out later that was Psylocke, who you know, was still in her British body. And she wasn't quite the fighter that she wanted to be. So they gave her this armor that would help her fight and um anyway i'm going on and on and on i really like this book it d definitely has its 90s ish isms that you have to kind of get past um just just to just be like okay i get it it's the 90s like let, you know, let me just kind of get through the story but i think it is a good introduction um i think like you guys also said it sort of like Oh, look, there's all these little things. So I really like this character. Let me go find out more about this character. Let me go find out about this storyline. Or let me go find out the history of all of this kind of stuff. Anyway, that's that's all I'll say, because I know people got to leave. Cool. Speaking of people who have to leave, Adam, do you have any recommendations? <clears throat> uh, come back to me in two minutes. I was thinking of something, and I forgot it. So, Todd, do you have any recommendations? <laughs> yes. Brian Wood wrote a book called Rebels. It takes place 1775 in the colonial America. And you're fighting the British. Comic book. Read it. Awesome. Cool. Yep. Um, 
sort of pegging back on uh, piggybacking on something. Uh, so last week we read, or actually twice this month we've read books by um, Tom King, and mm-hmm. Todd had mentioned uh, a book called uh, Sheriff of Baghdad, which we were afraid would be too political for Q. Um, I am currently trying to down uh, read down my to be read pile, and that book happened to pop up in my to be read pile, so I read it a couple days ago. Uh, Love the book. Um, it's another 12-issue arc, um, and so the first half is currently out in trades. Uh, by the time this airs, the second half will be out shortly. I think it comes out uh, beginning of April or uh, beginning of February. Um, but I also, I'm going to say, I don't think it's too political for Q, um, okay. mainly because it's very character-driven more than anything else. Yes, it takes place in a war zone. Yes, it takes place during a war, and it has some commentary on that. But it's more about the characters. It's a essentially a murder mystery in Baghdad. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I know that uh, that typically we try to keep p- political things away because uh, it's not necessarily Q's cup of tea. But I think actually Q would like this. My personal opinion. Um, but uh, yeah, Q, do you have any recommendation? Um, so first, I'm going to say to read the accompany. Uh, Uncanny X-Men arc, which takes place uh, sort of side-by-side side with this, where the um, gold team goes to the um, Hellfire Club party. It's, uh, it begins in Uncanny X-Men 281. Um, I'm sure that it's also in trade somehow, some way. Um, it introduces you to Bishop, who, was, again, was another big player in the 90s. Um, it decimates the Hellfire Club. Um, it really gets rid of Emma Frost for a long time, because Emma Frost doesn't come out of her coma that she gets put into, spoiler alert, until, like, I think, like, Uncanny X-Men, like, 316. So, like, almost for, like you know, 50, 60 issues, she's completely out of commission. Um, but anyway, uh, it's a really fun book. The other recommendation that I had that I was kind of talking about earlier, I've been catching up on uh, my TV since I'm not doing anything in the theater. Um, I know I've talked about it before, but the real O'Neills, that shit cracks me up. Yes, like, love that <laughs> like Eddie's family. Yes, it is seriously, it's such good writing, it's so smart, it sort of, for me, it gets what it's like being a little queer kid, except for the fact that this kid is actually really cute, and so it's going to be much easier for him. Uh, <laughs> but his, the brother and sister fucking kill me, kill me. Uh, and Martha Plimpton, of course. Amazing. But the other thing is, uh, I started watching it last night, and in fact, once we're done here, I'm probably going to watch the last three episodes that I have. But This Is Us, if you guys have not watched this, it is so good. It's going to make you cry. It's going to make you laugh. Um, I was completely shocked at the um, ending of the of the first episode. So... Um, the way that it st- sort of starts off is that, you know, everybody has, you know, everybody has a birthday and it's sort of like this rare thing to share birthdays with people. And so, you know, th- it's, it starts off with these uh, four characters who all have the same birthday and just sort of like their lives. And it kind of goes back and forth in time a little bit, kind of, you know, talking about different things. But, I, you know, I'm not going to give away like kind of some of the other stuff, but it's good. Uh, my favorite character is Kate, the sister, who um, is a big girl and just has lots of issues that surround her weight. But it's still fun. Like, she's still fun. And of course, there's like the really hot, her hot twin brother, which, you know, whatever. He, t- he doesn't have a shirt on for a lot of the time in episode one, which is good. He plays Green Arrow in Smallville, so I'd already seen that shirt list, so it's real good. Um, but anyway, go watch those shows. She drinks. Shut up. Um, anyway, it's good. Go watch it. Adam, do you have any recommendations? Uh, yeah, two quick ones. So, well, actually, just one recommendation and one kind of interesting bit of trivia. Um, so, they've been doing uh, a Power Ranger comic book for a while. Uh, but this month, actually, uh, well, a couple weeks ago, when you hear this, they are dropping the limited six-issue run of Power Rangers and the Justice League. 
because apparently Lord Zed comes to Earth and they have to team up, and he teams up with a DC villain, and uh, the Power Rangers have to team up with like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman. Um, apparently, it's supposed to be amazing. Uh, I've read some early reviews. Uh, I don't really read the Power Ranger comics, Eddie does, but uh, it sounds like a lot of fun. So check that one out. Uh, and then, interestingly enough, uh, so the Producers Guild of America just released their uh, nominations today for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. Um, Deadpool was nominated for uh, Best Picture of the Year from them, and they uh, are one of the big groups that vote on the Academy Awards. So I That's think it would really be hilarious if Deadpool gets nominated for Best Picture. I would literally pee my pants. I would lose my shit. <laughs> I mean, it was real good. It was a funny movie. Yeah, it's, funny. Up, it's up for that and also some Writers Guild Award stuff. So um, I, it's funny because I didn't even think about it when I was doing my best of list for last year. Um, mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, that movie is pretty goddamn spot on in every single aspect of it. From yeah. you know just the, a movie making part and also just that's a really, really good movie. So um, here's to Deadpool getting an Oscar nomination. That'd be amazing. <laughs> Cool. Well, so that'll do it for um, our uh, month of origins and beginnings and beginnings of the ends and all that stuff. Next month, we are doing a spotlight on one particular writer, and we are going to spotlight uh, Brian K. Vaughn, um, who has already written... We've already read a few books that we liked from him. Uh, we read uh, Saga, and what else did we read from him? We've read something else. The uh, Doctor Strange. Oh, well, yeah, with Doctor Strange, the oath he also wrote. Uh, so we're going to do, uh, you know, uh, we're going to start by doing... Uh, four books of his, uh, but next week it's going to be Ex Machina, which is basically the story of a uh, a man who uh, develops superpowers, but he also becomes the mayor of New York, so how does he uh, balance being the mayor and also being a superhero? Um, later this month we'll also be doing uh, Pride of Baghdad, uh, Paper Girls, which is one of his most recent things, and Why the Last Man, which outside of Saga is probably the other thing he's most well known for, other than the TV show Lost, although don't blame him for that show, he was just a writer on it and a producer, did not create it, I don't know if he had anything to do with the ending of it. So, that'll do it for this week, I'm talking fast because Adam has places to go, Todd has places to go. I have movies to watch at home with my dog, and Q has sleep to get because he needs his beauty rest for tomorrow. Uh, We love you all. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later. See you on the flip side. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode. This band of knuckleheads will be back next week with a new episode. Until then, you can find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr as Funny Books and Firewater. And on Twitter as at FirewaterCast. Go to FunnyBooksAndFirewater.com for the most up-to-date information. As well as cocktail recipes from this and past episodes. Thank you for joining us. And until next week, support your local comic shop. Tip your bartender well. And stay hydrated.